Hello, this is David. And this is Scott. And you're listening to the uh, Books by Old Dead Guys podcast. It's <laughs> a great title. All right, welcome. We are reading together uh, Richard Baxter's uh, Reformed Pastor. Uh, we explained last time, if you're, if you're new to the Puritans, they kind of break their chapters down by little sections. It's going to take us a very long time to read this book together. But what we wanted to do was to help people learn a little bit more about how we read Puritans. There's surely more than one way to do it, but uh, I have found that it is a great benefit for me to um, to read these slowly and to kind of chew on one little section at a time. And so we're going to go through one section a week. If you're if you're jumping in with us, we are in chapter one of Baxter, uh, and we're in at point number three. It's just going to be three in a period. That's where we are. Uh, in my book, it's it's on. You can get this on uh, Kindle. It is. I, I can't remember. Just to be honest with you, if it was free or if it was ninety nine cent, but it was super cheap, and so you can pick this up on Kindle, uh, or you can get a hard copy again because it's a public domain book. It's 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 super super inexpensive to buy. So, all right. So I'll be reading uh, this time, and I'm going to try to stop a couple paragraphs in so we can chew, and we'll go through. A little at a time, a little bit longer section today. So here's what he's saying as he's talking through. Actually, David, you want to sum up where we are to this point in the chapter? This might be helpful. Yeah, so first first kind of started off with, you know, kind of the warning to those who preach, you know, be careful that you are actually a partaker of the gospel that you proclaim to others. You know, Baxter talks about how how just just devastating it would be to come to the end of your life having preached the gospel to so many and yet never partaken of it yourself you know how how he talks about how unregenerate you know unsaved pastors are just a plague uh, on the church in his day and uh, so scott and i talked some uh, off the air about um just how how it's that's still the case how unregenerate pastors unregenerate church members are are still just run mm-hmm. rampant in, in the church and how sad it is to see. Uh, and so then uh, in the second portion, talked about, you know, really how you can't give to others what you haven't first gotten yourself. Mm. You know, the importance yeah. of, of reading and, and preaching the word uh, for your own sake first uh, and then also for the sake of the congregation. You know, we talked about how, uh, how your congregation needs you mm to be in the word needs you to be uh, in a deep relationship with the Lord because if you know as Bast- as Baxter says you know if, if preaching if your preaching grows cold so often those who listen well to you will also grow cold right uh, and it's just a just a clear picture of that and so that kind of catches us up to where we are right now and cool. so Scott, You'll take it away. You got it. Section three. And here's what Baxter says. Take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, and lest you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind as may be the occasion of their ruin, lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues, and be the greatest hinderers of the success of your own labors. It much hindereth our work when other men are all the week long contradicting to poor people in private that which we have been speaking them from the word of God in public because we cannot be at hand to expose their folly. But it will much more hinder your work if you contradict yourselves and if your actions give to your tongue the lie 
And if you build up an hour or two with your mouths and all the week after, pull down with your hands. This is the way to make men think that the word of God is but an idle tale. And to make preaching seem no better than pratting. He that means as he speaks will surely do as he speaks. One proud, surly, lordly word, one needless contention, one covetous action may cut the throat of many a sermon and blast the fruit of all that you have been doing. Tell me, brethren, in the fear of God, do you regard the success of your labors or do you not? Do you long to see it upon the souls of hearers? If you do not, what do you preach for? What do you study for? And what do you call yourselves the ministers of Christ for? But if you do, then surely you cannot find in your heart to mar your work for a thing of naught. What? Do you regard the success of your labors and yet will not part with a little to the poor, nor put up with an injury or a foul word, nor stoop to the meanest, nor forbear your passionate or lordly carriage? No, not for the winning of souls and attaining the end of all your labors. You little value success indeed, that you will sell it at so cheap a rate or will not do so small a matter to attain it. It is a palpable error of some ministers who make such a disproportion between their preaching and their living, who study hard to preach exactly and study little or not at all to live exactly. All the week long is little enough to study how to speak two hours and yet one hour seems too much to study how to live all the week. They are loath to misplace a word in their sermons or to be guilty of any notable infirmity. And I blame them not, for the matter is holy and weighty. But they make nothing of misplacing affections, words, and actions in the course of their lives. Oh, how curiously I have heard some men preach, and how carelessly have I seen them live. They've been so accurate as to the preparation of their sermons that seldom preaching seemed to them a virtue, that their language might be the more polite and all the rhetorical writers they could meet with were pressed to serve them for the adorning of their style and gods were often their cheapest ornaments. They were so nice in hearing others that no man pleased them that spoke as he thought or that drowned not affections or dulled not nor distempered not the heart by the predominant strains of a fantastic wit. And yet, when it came to the matter of practice, and they were once out of church, how incurious were the men, and how little did they regard what they said or did, so it were not so palpably gross as to dishonor them. They that preach precisely would not live precisely. What a difference was there between their pulpit speeches and their familiar discourse. They that were the most impatient of barbarisms, solecisms, and paralogisms in a sermon could easily tolerate them in their life and conversation. Whew. Man. So, yeah, Baxter just laying it on, just laying it on thick. I mean, talking about how, how we ourselves, our own very lives, can be the greatest hindrances, how we can stand in our own ways if our preaching is good, but our lives are not. Man, I got to tell you, apart from the Bible, I don't think I've ever read a guy who's better at punching you in the face than Richard than Baxter. Richard Baxter. <laughs> well, brother, he he does it here. I mean, <laughs> how 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 long will you labor to to preach for an hour or two, and yet how long will you not labor to live correctly the rest of the week? 
you know, how, how can you, you can't put it more, more bluntly than that. You yeah. know, how, how can you build up with your words for an hour or two and all the rest of the week pull down with your hands? Yeah, you, you know? spend your whole week preparing for the words you're going to say from the pulpit for an hour or 45 minutes. Uh, but, you, but you never, you don't spend any time in your week thinking about the words that you're saying through the course of a week. I, I, one of my mentors in ministry said a long time ago, the, the sermon is first preached on the couch, mm. you know, that, that people watch you. It's the value of staying somewhere for a, a long time, right? Yeah. Like to, to be there and for people to see not just that I practice the content of my sermon, but that when I fail to do so, that I would go and seek forgiveness. You know, they, they both need, and I'm sure Baxter's going to get to that too, but they both need to see us practicing the content of our sermons and being quick to seek forgiveness when we fail to because we are still sinners and there is a, there is a lot of pressure to the, to the public proclamation of the word because people watch you oh, yeah. to see if you live according to it. And Baxter says as much. I mean, he, he says, you know, I, I don't blame them for paying so much attention mm. to what they say from the yeah, pulpit. Good, yeah. I, I blame them for not paying any attention yeah. to the way that they live their life. Yeah, we should feel it. We should feel James 3.1 every time we teach, right? Let not many of you become teachers, brothers, knowing that as such you will incur the stricter judgment. For sure, James is talking about from the Lord, but there is also a real sense in which we set ourselves up for scrutiny mm. by being willing to publicly proclaim the word of God Indeed. and then resent it. You know, there's a lot of pastors that will resent that. Well, I mean, that is just kind of what you signed on for. For good or for bad, that that just it is what it is. Yeah, you don't get to pick your. <laughs> no, you don't get to pick that. Absolutely not. Yeah. Okay, all right. So <clears throat> next, certainly, brethren, we have a very great cause to take heed what we do as well as what we say. If we will be the servants of Christ, indeed, we must not be tongue servants only, mm. but must serve Him with our deeds and be doers of the work that we may be blessed in our deed as our people must be doers of the word and not hearers only. So we must be doers and not speakers only, lest we deceive our own selves. A practical doctrine must be practically preached. We must study as hard how to live well as how to preach well. We must think and think again how to compose our lives as may most tend to men's salvation as well as our sermons. Wow, I love that line. Think how to compose our lives as may most tend to men's salvation as well as our sermons. In other words, we need to think we need to, to, to think about not just how to write a good sermon, but how to live a godly life, how to live our lives publicly and in such a way that people see us and know that the gospel is powerful to transform. Yeah. Mm, that's good. I love before that. We must not be tongue servants only. Mm. Yeah, man. That's man, w- that's a line right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean Don't it's be tongue servants only. Yeah, it's well it's it's Romans two where yeah. we've been preaching. It's not the hearers of the word that will be justified, but the doers of the word will be declared righteous. There's that's that's it. That if we've been transformed by the power of the gospel, then we will live lives as though we've been transformed by the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Okay, moving on. When you are studying what to say to your people, if you have any concern for their souls, you will often be thinking with yourselves, how shall I get within them? And what shall I say that is most likely to convince them and convert them and promote their salvation? And should you not as diligently think with yourself, how shall I live 
And what shall I do? And how shall I dispose of all that I have as may most tend to the saving of men's souls? Brethren, if the saving of men's souls be your end, you will certainly intend it out of the pulpit as well as in it. If it be your end, you will live for it and contribute all your endeavors to attain it. You will ask concerning the money in your purse as well as concerning the word of your mouth. In what way shall I lay it out for the greatest good, especially to men's souls? Oh, that this were your daily study. How to use your wealth, your friends, and all you have for God as well as your tongues. Then should we see that fruit of your labors, which is never else like to be seen. If you intend the end of the ministry in the pulpit only, it would seem you take yourselves for ministers no longer than you are there. Mm. And if so, I think you are unworthy to be esteemed ministers at all. Ooh, my goodness. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, so if you didn't pick up on that, that's a <laughs> that's a punch. That's a very clear gut punch right there. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. He's, yes. He's saying if, if you if you think that the only parts of your life where you are a minister of the gospel are the parts of your life where you stand behind a pulpit, mm. then Baxter is very clearly coming across and saying you are not a minister. Yeah, and you think about how this applies. You know, this is one of those times where we said last time that the, um, the, the book itself, you know, did not be afraid of the title, right? That mm-hmm. just because it says Reformed Pastor, it is certainly practical for uh, people who are not pastors. And this is one of those times where oh, yeah. that is most definitely the case because uh, how many of us as Christians do this? You know, it's the show up the church on Sunday morning say all the right thing, call everybody brother and sister, and then you go to work Monday morning and you defraud your neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that this, is not just, this is not just a pastoral temptation. This is a disciple of Christ temptation. And yeah. he, he wants us to understand, you know, for, from a pastoral standpoint, for sure, you know, he says, I think you are unworthy to be esteemed ministers at all. But again, I think of the words of Jesus, you know, where the people say, Lord, Lord, in our name, in your name, do we not do mighty works and, mm-hmm. and prophesy? And he says, depart from me, workers of iniquity, for I never knew you the knowing of christ is the stuff that happens in our closets right it's the it's the quiet and the secret times the times when no one else is around those are the times that we really know christ and so that's good yeah i mean baxter you know he lays it out you know what you do with your wallet Hmm. is is showing what you serve you know one of the things we've said often one of the things that scott has said often is you want to know who your god is Look at your day planner and your wallet. Checkbook. Checkbook. That's exactly right. Yeah. Although checkbook's probably dated. You probably need to do something different. Well, you your probably, debit card it'd probably statement. Be a calendar app <laughs> on your bank app. That'd probably look, be what Look it at is. your bank app. There you go. Pull up your bank app. Pull up your calendar app. That's, uh, where, that's where you got it. I right just there. gave away the fact that I'm old. Okay. <laughs> Next paragraph. Let me then entreat you, brethren, to do well as well as say well. Be zealous of good works. Spare not for any cost if it may promote your master's work. And he's going to have two different points here that we'll walk through. Here's the first one. Maintain your innocency Mm. and walk without offense. Let your lives condemn sin and persuade men to duty. Would you have your people more careful of their souls than you are of yours? If you would have them redeem their time, do not you misspend yours. Okay, hold on right there. That's, uh, we got, I, I want to stop because one of the areas in ministry and you and I have talked about this before. Ministry can be the easiest place in the world for lazy people to hide. 
Amen. Because if you do your job well and your church trusts and love you, there's not a ton of accountability for how you're spending your time with men. And that's what Baxter's pulling out is there shouldn't have to be because there is a ton of accountability with God. And that's what should matter. Okay, so if you would not have them vain in their conference, see that you speak yourselves the things which may edify and tend to minister grace to the hearers. Order your own families well. If you would have them do so by theirs, be not proud and lordly. If you would have them to be lowly. There are no virtues wherein your example will do more, at least to abate men's prejudice, than humility and meekness and self-denial. Forgive injuries. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Do as our Lord, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. If sinners be stubborn and stout and contentious, flesh and blood will persuade you to take up their weapons. And to master them by their carnal means. But that is not the way further than necessary self-preservation or public good may require. Good job upholding the Second Amendment. But overcome them with kindness and patience and gentleness. The former may show that you have more worldly power than they, wherein they are ordinarily too hard for the faithful. But it is the latter only that will tell them that you excel them in spiritual excellency. If you believe that Christ is more worthy of imitation than Caesar or Alexander, and that it is more glory to be a Christian than to be a conqueror, yea, to be a man than a beast, which often exceed us in strength, contend with charity and not with violence. Set meekness, love, and patience against force, and not force against force. Remember, you are obliged to be the servants of all. Condescend to men of low estate. Be not strange to the poor of your flock. They are apt to take your strangeness for contempt. Familiarity, improved to holy ends, may do abundance of good. Speak not stoutly or disrespectfully to anyone, but be courteous to the meanest as to your equal in Christ. A kind and winning carriage is a cheap way of doing men good. Mm. Man, he said so much there. He said a lot right there. I mean, just you know, to talk about overlooking offenses, you know, to talk about practicing humility and meekness and self-denial, to practice patience, gentleness, kindness. I mean, mm. just so much wrapped up in that, that one little chapter. You know, that to not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good you know there's so much wrapped up in that and so much of it uh, so much of it is how we live our lives during the week mm. you know not not how we how we preach on a Sunday morning but how we live on a Thursday afternoon yeah you know that yeah how we respond to those who are cruel to us like it ought not surprise us when we speak the truth in love and love is not the response right mm. because darkness hates the light and even in the heart of the Christian, right? Darkness hates the light. Like, I'm never particularly fond of it when people expose my sin. Like it's just not my favorite thing. And, and, and so that is, but that is the work, right? That is, that's the that work is, that we do. That is the work. So, that's nah, good. Mm. Mm. Okay, point two. Let me entreat you to abound in works of charity and benevolence. Go to the poor. See what they want. And show your compassion at once to their soul and body. Buy them a catechism and other small books that are likely to do them good and make them promise to read them with care and attention. Stretch your purse to the utmost and do all the good you can. Think not of being rich, 
Seek not great things for yourselves or your posterity. What if you do impoverish yourselves to a greater good? Will this be loss or gain? If you believe that God is the safest purse bearer and that to expend in his service is the greatest usury, show them that you do believe it. I know that flesh and blood will cavil it before it will lose its prey and will never, never want somewhat to say against this duty that is against its interest. But mark what I say, and the Lord set it home upon your hearts, that man who hath anything in the world so dear to him that he cannot spare it for Christ, if we call it, is no true Christian. And because a carnal heart will not believe that Christ calls for it when he cannot spare it, therefore makes it that his self-deceiving shift I say further that the man who will not be persuaded that duty is duty because he cannot spare that for Christ which is therein to be expended is no true Christian. For a false heart corrupteth the understanding and that again increaseth the delusions of the heart. Do not take it therefore as an undoing to make friends of the mammon of unrighteousness and to lay up treasure in heaven though you leave yourselves but little on earth. You lose no great advantage for heaven by becoming poor. And pursuing one's way, the lighter one travels, the better. Mm. So, man, this Baxter encouraging us to to do as much good as we can in this life. Yeah, what a you know, to to spread our purses thin, yeah. to, to give ourselves over in in time and in money, and to do as much good in this life oh as boy. we can. And, and again, to leave nothing behind. How this applies to just Christians in general, right? Like the, the, the great mantra of the age is I'm too busy. Amen. You know, when, when, when needed to serve in the local church, the, call, the, the response more often than not is I would, but I'm so busy. And man, Baxter's got some words for that. Like how, how is it, you know, if, if so, then you've got to reevaluate your priorities. It's really what he's after. I mean, and he's so bold to say if your money and your heart you know, truly, if, if where your heart is, there your, your treasure, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart is, then, yeah, absolutely, then, then what you're spending your time on and what you're spending your money on is very indicative of what you're actually worshiping. Yep. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. All right, I think there's one more paragraph. One more paragraph. All right, I know where the heart is carnal and covetous, words, covetous, sorry, words will not wring men's money out of their hands. They can say all this and more to others, but saying is one thing and believing is another. But with those that are true believers, methinks such considerations should prevail. Oh, what abundance of good might ministers do if they would but live in contempt of the world and the riches and glory thereof and expend all they have in their master's service and pinch their flesh that they may, weigh, may have wherewith to do good. This would unlock more hearts to the reception of their doctrine than all in their oratory. And without this, singularity in religion will seem but hypocrisy. And it is likely that it is so. He who practices disinterest, disinterestedness, easy for you to say, prays to the Lord. He who snatches a man from peril offers a rich sacrifice. These are our sacrifices. They are holy to God. Thus he is, who, he is more devout among us is he who is more self-effacing, saith Minucius Felix, whoever that is, though we need not to do as the papists who betake themselves to monasteries and cast away property, yet we must have nothing but what we have for God. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think that last bit is so key, right? You know, he, he rejects this idea that we all need to 
go run off to a, a, a monastery, you know, yeah. sell everything that we have, join a convent, you know, Truly. all of this stuff. He's saying, no, no, that's that's not the answer. That's not what we're after here. Yep. I want what, what I'm what I'm trying to get you to see is to have everything that you have for God. Yep. That everything that you have, you should have in service to the Lord. Yeah. You know, it, it's not about it's not about just having less for the sake of having less. You right. Know, it's not about just living a poor life just, you know, because there's some virtue to living a poor life. He, he's saying what you have, use right. for the good of the kingdom. Right. You know, it's, it's so much. In some cases, in, in some instances, it would seem simpler if it was just, well, if, if I just don't have anything. Right. Then. You know, I'm I'm living the good life. You yep. know, I'm 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 living the blessed. I'm living the the virtuous life. If I'm just poor and needy, right? But no, that it's not that simple. Yeah, nope, it's, it's not. not that simple. I think I think Zacchaeus is for us the example of this, right? That that Zacchaeus. I don't know if you knew this. He was a wee little man. <laughs> I heard. And, uh, you, did you? Okay, and he he climbed up in a sycamore tree because he, I think he wanted to see the Lord. He didn't did he? the Lord? He wanted to see. And, and the Lord says he's coming to his house today, so he goes and he dines, and you see this generosity of Zacchaeus on display, and ultimately giving his possessions to the poor, and then, you know, if, if I've defrauded anyone, I will repay you. Look at this picture of him just understanding, man, he's encountered the living Christ. Mm. Man, what, what need does he have of the things here? And regardless of whether the Lord has given us much or little, our philosophy must be that, you know, that whatever we have, we have from his hand, given as a gift. And that would be a major corrective for a whole lot of pastors in this world, many of mm. whom will appear on TV today. Mm. Mm. Uh, if we could simply just help um, communicate to, to Christians, but definitely to pastors, that there are more important things in ministry than just establishing a good retirement account. You know, that, that, that I've, you know, I've hit, you know, now in my mid-40s, uh, you hit this, this point where you know, being sure that you're investing and saving wisely is certainly still important. It's definitely a thing you want to do. It's a thing you want to do in your 20s so that you don't have to stress out about it in your 40s. But but even in that, you know, we're not guaranteed any of these things. We're not guaranteed that there's going to be a tomorrow or that the market's not going to crash or any of those sorts of things. And, and that is that is the corrective here. Whatever you have, you have for the glory of Christ. And so you use it to the glory of Christ. All right, well, that's point three. We'll pick up on point four of chapter one next time when we get together. Thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. And I hope we get to talk some more as we talk through Baxter's Reform Pastor. Take care, guys. All right. Bye.